the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We have another amazing guest today, the wonderful Tersh Blissett. And for those who don't know who Tersh is, Tersh is the founder of Service Business Mastery Podcast, which he has been the host and producer of since 2017. This show focuses on helping teach those in the home service industries how to become more profitable while growing as leaders within their business and personal lives. And for those who don't know, Tersh is able to run a trades and service business remotely. So Tersh, let's hear you say, what's the biggest, most badass thing you're most proud of uh, in the professional field? Man, there's a lot that I've been very lucky to do and be able to just achieve the things that I've been able to do. I have two HVAC companies, two plumbing companies, an electrical company. Uh, I haven't stepped foot in one of them since 2019. And the other doesn't even have a brick and mortar. I was named 40 under 40 uh, for the HVAC industry uh, and, and across the whole world. One of the really cool, the coolest things that I've done is uh, because I was the past, I'm the past president of the small business chamber in Savannah. I was able to pull in some resources and the military came and gave a no cost uh, healthcare assessment in 2019, I want to say it was. And we were able to help support support uh, $4.5 million, million worth of um, health care at no cost to the general public. And it was a training mission for all of the, the different branches of the military. And uh, my role there was to provide all those people were flying into Savannah and we kept them busy and entertained after hours. So uh, it was a huge undertaking. Uh, my wife is a captain in the Air National Guard and she was the officer in, tra- in charge of training for that whole mission. And so they were like, hey, Tersh, you know, uh, uh, Julie, your husband, he's the president of the small business chamber, right? He can pull some resources. And so she volunteered me to do a lot of that. So it was a really cool project. Uh, took up a lot of our time and effort for several months, but it was a great, really cool accomplishment. And um, something that I don't really talk about enough was the, the giving back to the community that we were able to do, which was really awesome. Um, not something that we could do all the time. Yeah, that is amazing. 40 under 40 in the world, you said? Yeah, for HVAC. Yeah, for HVAC industry. Wow, that is super awesome. So I love to hear like the superhero journey. Like here you are, your little superhero in the HVAC industry and in the trades industry, and you're just a, such an amazing person. Tell us what did that dream look like? Like how did you wake up one get day and go, "I'm gonna be 40 under 40 for HVAC in the world"? <laughs> like how, how does that even happen? <laughs> Definitely um, by mistake. That my journey did not, it was not intentional. I straight out of high school, I I accidentally ended up in a high school that allowed me to take college courses my junior and senior year of high school. So I was able to really go into college for free early on. So that made it possible for me to get a college degree really young. And I was also in the Air National Guard. I joined, I actually joined. December 14th of 2001. So right after 9-11, ended up in special forces for the Air Force and wasn't my cup of tea. I, I did my did my time and got out, uh, but I 
throughout that process, I became, um, I, I started, I was working towards my mechanical engineering degree and went to work at a, a chemical plant that my dad was working at. And the whole time I was there, I hated life. Like I just did not like what I was doing. I didn't like the working late, you know, all night long working shift work type stuff. So my dad, he was constantly like, Hey man, you need to get into the trades. You need to become an electrician. His best friend at the time, um, was an electrician owned electrician company. And so I was like, Nah, that does not sound like fun to me. Like that does that's not cool at all. Uh, but just so happened that one of my best friends at the time, uh, we were really big into cars. I, I'm I'm super huge into cars myself, and uh, he was always at my house hanging out and always had spare money. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he he actually dropped out of high school at 16 and was raking in the dough way more than I was. And here I am an engineer and not making near the money that that this guy's pulling in without even a, a high school uh, diploma. And uh, I said, get me a job doing whatever you're doing. And he was like, I can get you an interview, but I don't know about a job. And I was like, I don't even know what it is you do, but I just want to go do it. And so I went and interviewed for an air conditioning company, got the job. Within two years, uh, I was a service manager and worked up to become a general manager. And this is during the recession, during uh, 07, 08. I actually got hired in, in 05. Uh, and we grew from 1 million to 8 million through the recession. And it was because of coaching and listening to coaches and outside influences because I was ignorant. I didn't know the bad habits. There was I, I, I had no idea what to do, so I can only listen to coaches. And uh, thankfully, we had some really good coaches and told me to do it a certain way. It actually, brought me flew me to Seattle because they were like, "Why are you? Why is this all working? Like, why? Why do you? What makes you do everything that we tell you to do?" And my answer was simple: I don't know any other way to do it. Like, I don't have any bad habits because there there is no habit at all. And uh, so I thought that was a really cool thing and then started my own business in 14. Uh, that was my first business. And that's the business that I actually haven't been back to since uh, 19. And then so in 2018 or 2017, I started a, a podcast because that business that we started in 2014 was growing between 90 and 120% year over year. And a lot of people were like, when I started the podcast in 17 and into 18, they were asking like, how did you do that? How did this work? I said, you know what? I'm a glutton for punishment. Let me do it again. Except this time <laughs> I want to do it even harder. Uh, I'm going to do it with remote. So I'm not going to leave my house. I'm only going to stay at my house and I'm going to do everything virtually uh, remote. And then and now this is all of 2019. I'm doing everything remote. I'm going through all the pain points of figuring out Zoom, figuring out how to how to use teams and how to, you know, use iPads in the field. And we're, we're also a hundred percent paperless too. So like the wow. guys, there's no printers. We had one lady ask us for a paper invoice and it actually threw a wrench in our entire system because <laughs> we had to figure out where to print it and then where to mail it from, because we haven't done that since 2018 mm -hmm. or 2019. And uh, so then we had a little virus take over the, the whole world uh, in 2020. And we already had a year and a half's practice of being 100% remote and 100% mm. paperless and no contact. And so then all of a sudden it just blew up. Like, how do we do this? It turned into a lot of people asking questions like, how do I operate a business remotely? Uh, how do I do all of these things without having to have papers and have people come in and check into the office every single morning? So that's 
kind of, I mean, it's a long, long winded no, version of, yeah. but that's, that's kind of where we were and where we're at now. And so when you were a service manager and you helped grow the company from 1 million to 8 million, were you an equity holder at that point or a shareholder or? Nope. I never had any skin in the game. Uh, it was truly a passion for me. Uh, this is back before, this is when forums were, were a big thing. MySpace a little bit. Yeah. Definitely no space. Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, 2.0 wasn't really there yet. And so a lot of, I was building automations back then. I'm an automation junkie. Like I love Zapiers and, and if this, then that, but Back then, those things didn't exist. So I figured out ways to bring GPS. We had uh, a GPS program for all the vehicles, and I was able to bring that stuff instantly into Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that. And so I would consider myself what's called a wartime leader. So when it was really hard, that's whenever I succeed. As soon as things start to Cadillac out and start to smooth, then I'm like, all right, I'm bored. Let's go. We got to find something else. Sometimes I'll throw a wrench in things just because they are operating too easily and smoothly. <laughs> uh, Interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where I don't know. It, I just really enjoyed it. I, I was I treated the business like it was my own, with the exception of I didn't have any leverage as far as money goes in the game. And so once, so it wasn't until after you scaled that business to eight million, you're like, oh, I could actually do this myself and actually get some of that piece of the pie (laughs) kind of thing. Honestly, I didn't even plan on doing that. I left that company and purchased a trucking company and grew the trucking company in six months. We quadrupled the company and it was an an over the road car hauling company. And it was one of those things where I was like, man, I'm really wasting a talent here. So I sold that business and started up another air conditioning company and did it different. I, I did it different than the previous one that I was running and helping run. So I don't know. It's like I said, wartime leader is if it's really easy, like I probably am not going to try it. Like I, I if it, honestly look at me, like if you're watching this, you can see that I don't look like an air conditioning company business owner. Like, <laughs> and this is what I wear every single day of the week. If it's normal, I'm not going to do it. It's going to be, I'm going to do the exact opposite. And so if people see you as like your typical quote unquote plumber is the guy with this you know, butt crack hanging out and he's been over and like, no, that's not <laughs> us. We're all going to wear, like I wear a three piece suit every wow. single day. I'll get in the attic with what I'm wearing on right now. Uh, wow. hundred yeah, percent. And my guys out in the field, they don't dress in three piece suits, but every single one of them were wearing khaki pants and like, they're just very presentable and not the status quo of what you think of when you think of a traditional plumber or HVAC guy. Well, and so how do you run a air conditioning or electrician business remotely? Like you can't just call up the customer and say, all right, here's how to fix it yourself. Or, 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 or are you being, you outsource it to someone who will do it for you essentially? No, we have technicians. So yeah, I have, you know, I have 12 vans here mm-hmm. and they just work like they leave straight from their home. They're dispatched from their home and they run all their calls and then they return back to their home at the end of the day. So there's no shop, there's no warehouse. Uh, whenever parts have to be ordered, we had to create special processes to make sure that everything, no balls got dropped in that whole process. You know, we use Trello boards. I don't know if you're familiar with Trello. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just creating those Trello boards to with Zapier to just automatically move from one to the other. It's those are the cool things to me. We have 2,500 zaps that go out every month and people say, well, what do you automate? And I don't really even remember because we just do them. If I I have to do something twice, I'm going to the third time, I'm going to try and figure out how to automate it. So I don't have to do it again. And 
Now, the thing you have to be really careful with when it comes to that is making sure you don't take the human element out of the conversation and really engaging with the client. Because I did make that mistake before where I was so automated that I almost sounded like a robot. Mm. And so we lost some clientele because they didn't think that we really cared. There was a less touchy feely going on there. But whenever people get the phone call from my girls, my office girls, and I I use this air quotes office because they all work from home uh, and they're on there. Like I have a monitor over to my right that keep that stays up all day and they're just on it. So I have, we call it the virtual cubicle. So if they have anything, they can just unmute, ask the question to any of us and then, you know, mute back out. And it keeps us so that we, we're in contact. We see each other all day, every day. My technicians can actually jump in that room too and jump back out if they have a question they want to ask the office. But whenever one of those, those girls in, from the office call up a client and say, hey, I was just calling to let you know that we need to schedule, you know, your uh, your massage. And they're like, massage? What, what do I get a massage for? You know, yeah, well, we have Miss Mary. She's going to come to your home and she's going to give, you know, you, your wife, anybody, whoever you like, we have full body massage and she's going to take care of you. And they're like, why is this? Because we don't tell this beforehand. It's purely after the fact, just a surprise to the client, but it's our way to help de-stress during a stressful situation. Because if they're changing out an air conditioning unit, I mean, that's a $10,000 investment and that's Mm. stressful to a lot of people. Most people don't have that kind of cash just laying around. Yeah, we, We acknowledge and we realize that that's a stressful moment. Now we're going to do what we can to help de-stress you as much as possible. And so Miss Mary goes out there and takes care of them. We had a really cool story from Jared Orton from the Savannah Bananas. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's a buddy of mine and we changed out his air conditioning unit. And then his wife gets a call from, or he, his wife gets a call from uh, our office and trying to schedule for Mary to come out there. Mary gets there. She's balling. The girl's balling because she's like, two weeks away from giving birth and and so and mary can do the prenatal massage too and she was like this is exactly what i needed at Mm. the exact moment and so jared i mean he goes all over the country talking giving speeches and he's sharing that story and how emotional his wife got because of something that we charge the same whether or not that's that's something that we take out of our profits and the fact that we we would do things like that even giving birthday birthday balloons for your air conditioner's anniversary, you know, and, and it's just little random things like that. And they're like, why'd you get flowers in a balloon? It's not your birthday. It's not your anniversary. And then they're like, oh yeah, it's my air conditioning anniversary. And then, cause everybody in the office is asking about it. And they're, yeah. they're like, so then it's just an attention getter. And, and we get stories like that all the time, but those are the type of things that for the most part is automated other than, you know, Connor calling to speak with the client, the reminders, and if it's to a, a threshold, a certain dollar amount, then this goes out. And so all of that stuff is automated. And uh, we've been able to do away with probably three office staff members because of automation and everything being in the cloud too, which is, you know, was terrifying to most people in 2018 and 2017, like cloud security. Yeah. Uh, and then you get into for me, it was like, I don't know what to do. Like I, I'm fingers crossed that this is, we can figure this out. But then Microsoft comes out and it's like, yeah, we have this encryption and this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, sweet. Our CRMs are all in the cloud. Uh, you know, we use QuickBooks online. So we don't have to have servers anywhere necessarily. And so literally like I have my, I have an iPad pro here and I can operate my entire business from this iPad pro. And so with the extent 
and, you know, with the exception of actually picking up parts and all that stuff, but being able to communicate with the team and everything, I can do it all from anywhere in the world as long as I have internet connection. That is so cool. And so just starting off, I mean, it sounds like in order to start off as a remote business, you still do have to hire a contractor who will still go in in person and do the work, right? You just get the sales yeah. essentially. Well, so technicians, so technicians we, I, yeah. yeah. So service technicians and installation technicians, we call them experts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then we have comfort specialists who's the salesperson. Mm-hmm. They'll go into the home and actually perform the sale. Then I coordinate between the salesperson and the installation team and get that all the whole ball rolling, get the parts or materials ordered and all that. But yeah, definitely. I, so it's weird too, because whenever service emperor started, when, when this remote air conditioning company started, I said from day one, I'm not getting in a van because you get in a van, you can't get out. That's the challenge for most operators is I just can't get out of the van. Nobody can do it as good as I can. And so what I had to do is come to the realization that we're going to have some mistakes and we're going to have some things that the the balls that get dropped and we just have to be okay with that. Because Mm -hmm. if I get into the van every single time that we have an issue, then we can't grow the business. I can't be Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur and the, and the thinker if I'm the worker, if I'm the doer. Uh, So as long as we're good with the fact that we have a certain amount of mistakes, you know, 7% callback rate is what we're target. And uh, as we're good with that, then let's rock and roll. Let's keep going. You know, no, that makes, that makes sense is, uh, you know, um, the importance of recognizing that if you're in the business, you can't be working on the business. And so just constantly optimizing. And so you, you spent time in the uh, coast guard, you said, uh, air force, air force. Is that where you feel like you learned that, that problem solving gene? Like, it sounds like you're a very fast no. problem solver. I mean, <laughs> where do you, where do you get that from? <laughs> Definitely, I wouldn't say definitely not the Air Force. I'm sure the Air Force definitely <laughs> helped me with that because that's a very stressful time. I believe that we have an 18 month life expectancy in that career field. So wow. you're definitely because we called in airstrikes. That's what we did. Held lasers for laser guided missiles. Oh and my gosh! Behind enemy lines and yeah. So it's a dangerous dangerous career field. So you definitely have to be on your toes for sure when it comes to that. But I've always been really a problem solver. Like that's kind of really what I enjoy doing, even to the extent of when I was a kid, I instigated problems just so I could solve them later. <laughs> like what? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Cause I was a jerk to my sisters. Uh, you know, I had four sisters and a brother and two of those were twins that were 18 months behind me and they could have knocked down drag outs and you would swear they hate each other. And most of the times it was my fault. And then I'd solve the problem. And so probably being the jerk older brother this has really helped me a lot uh, growing up and just constantly being there. I, we, were, we were the latchkey kids. Uh, so like my, my parents worked all the time. And so like we rode the bus home and would be at the house for three or four hours by ourselves every afternoon. And mm-hmm. so we have to figure things out and, you know, you really just had the problem solved. There was one time I, I was not supposed to be outside and I was, and I jumped or I, my foot got stuck on the fence that I'm climbing over because I'm playing tag when I'm not supposed to be outside and I'm not supposed to have anybody over. And I was outside and I had a whole group of people <laughs> over playing tag and my foot got stuck on the top of the fence and I went face first down and broke my arm. And then I had to sit there for two and a half hours before my mom got home from, she was in school at the medical college of Georgia. And <laughs> so I just sit there and wait for her in pain. I'm like holding my fingers because my wrist is just slapped broke. And she was like, what did you do? And it's, you know, it is what it is, but that's, yeah. we had to, we had to 
adapt and overcome, you know, our entire childhood. Honestly, I've, uh, I definitely have learned that throughout my whole life. And what, that's one of the things that I really empower my children with is I don't solve problems for them. Like I'll give them the tools to solve their problems and I will teach them how to use those tools so that they can solve their own problems. But I will not solve problems for the, for my kids. And that's what I've done since day one. I have four of them and they're uber independent like crazy independent. My wife's been gone for almost a month now and I've cooked dinner three times, four times maybe. And they will go in there, cook dinner. Uh, they, they range from six to, or no, seven, seven and eight, and then 12 and 13. And wow. they just fend for themselves and they're good. No house gets burnt down. They do their laundry, they do their chores. That sense of ownership that I give to them. And I think my mom and my parents did that to me a lot growing up too. They, they never really solved problems for me. Now my youngest brother, they solved all his problems. And <laughs> now he's still asking them to solve problems for him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> right. And so speaking of solving problems, what do most people get wrong uh, when it comes to growing trade and service-based businesses? I mean, the tr trade businesses, like I know you, you said, like we all dress professionally, you're stereotypical guy I'd probably have a crack in the butt when he's doing his work. You know, so what are, what are people getting wrong when they're growing these uh, trade businesses? Culture. That's that, and that's easy for any business, even not in the trade, skilled trades industry. It's that, and that's that's been one of our biggest challenges as a remote company because we don't, you know, we don't touch each other. We're not in the same room every mm -hmm. single morning. So, building that culture is a very big challenge. I have an automation that goes out three times a day. It's called the momentum gauge, and I ask everybody on the team to respond with two greens, two green dots. That means they're super green, one green, then they're green. Uh, they're good to go, ready for the day. Super green means there's nothing that can stop them. Like they're on top of the world. Like, let's go, let's rock and roll. We're ready to take over the world. Yellow means I'm getting stuck. I need some help. If, the, if I ever get a yellow across in my team's chat, then I stop whatever I'm doing and shoot a text message out to that team member personally and say, you know, what's going on? Is there something I can help you with? Sometimes, like I got one yesterday because it was raining and the guy's like, no, there's nothing you can do. I'm just, I'm getting irritated because I have to work in the rain and you know, it's just part of the job. Uh, but that's one of the things, like I want them to be honest, even if they're just irritated at something that they, that I can't control. Uh, yeah. And then red, red means I'm ready to stop. I'm calling it quits. Like I'm about to burn this place down. Like let's, you know, that no matter what I'm doing, if I got a, if I got a red right now, I would, I would step out of this interview and make a phone call to that person. And they know it too, because anytime it's ever happened, I've instantly done it. So that's how I've built the culture of trust and empowerment. Now, it what we do does not work for every person. There are people who need to see and touch their teammates every single day. And we've had people that came on our team that did that. And that's the way they felt. And they just couldn't get to where they're like, all right, I'm not comfortable. I, I'm not comfortable just being by myself all day, every day and chatting with each other, you know, through teams or FaceTime or stuff like that. And uh, it's okay. Like uh, there's, because there's business, there's lots of it. I mean, almost every other air conditioning company out there is that way that where you can go hang out for an hour or two in the morning. And even some of them where you can hang out an hour or two in the afternoon and uh, more power to you. Like that's where I, I want you to be happy. Cause I definitely don't want you working with us if you're not happy and satisfied with what you're doing each day. I'm so intrigued by this uh, method. So you said it's an app or uh, how do you send out these notifications? How do people respond? How, how does it all work? 
It's through Teams. Microsoft Teams is how we communicate internally in, mm-hmm. in our office. And I have a Zapier integration where I send a zap three times a day and it just says, hey, what's your momentum? Like, what, what's your momentum gauge right at this exact moment? Mm-hmm. Once it, One time is at 8.03 in the morning. Uh, the second time is at 11 o'clock on the dot. And the third time is at uh, 2.05. And it's just, hey, how are you feeling right now? Now that I have another like if, if it's in between those times, I have another form of communication that's called 531 where they just send me a text message or on on Teams in our private chat, they just say, hey, level five. And no matter what I'm doing, level five is equivalent to a red. I'll stop whatever I'm doing because level five is going to make us money or cost us money. I'll stop whatever I'm doing and then get out and, and make a phone call. Level three, if I, I'm a, if I got a level three right now, as soon as we finish this conversation, I'd step outside and make the phone call to that individual. Uh, a level one is kind of like banter where you're just like, check out what I did over the weekend, give me a holler on your drive or whatever like that. And uh, the thing about it is, is Ari Mizell. Are you familiar with Ari Mizell? No. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm more doing uh, less. Or yeah, yeah, doing, less doing. doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less doing. Um, so I had him on the podcast a while back and a couple months or two ago. And one of the things that he said that really resonated with me and, and I was doing it, but I didn't realize I was doing it. But ever since then, I've been super intentional of doing it that way. And that is every time you communicate with someone, you're training them on how you will allow them to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. So I don't want text messages. I don't want phone calls all day long because I was the I was the guy who got literally 135 phone calls a day when my first air conditioning company that I started. And it was an ego thing. If you talk to any guys, any owners in the trades, any service managers in the trades that get a lot of phone calls throughout the day, it's their their technicians are calling them and so that they can solve the problem for the technician. And instead of stopping them from doing that, it's an ego thing. Like, look, look how big and bad I am. Yeah, I, This business can't run without me. And it's really detrimental. And so the way that I avoid doing that is 531. Send me a message that's 531. If it's a level five, it's going to make us money or cost us money. I will instantly call you back, but don't call me. And so like we'll have new team members that come on board and during our onboarding process, all of that's explained. They sign it saying, I understand 531. I understand the momentum gauge, but then they call and then they call and then they call. And I made the mistake of answering a couple of times like, hey, you're new. You don't know what's going on. Then that all that did was train them that I will answer the phone. It's acceptable for you to call me because I will answer the phone. And uh, about two years ago, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not getting into that habit again because I've, it took me forever to break the old habit. And so if you call me, I will not answer the phone. Absolutely yeah. will not answer the phone. But if you send me a level five, instantly I will call you back because I want you to know if it's that important, I will call you back instantly. And every time I communicate with my team, it's training them on how I'm willing to be communicated with. So emails are useless to me. Like email is an asynchronous converse, uh, communication for me. So I get to email when I get to email. Yeah. If you want to have an instant conversation with me, you can text me or send me a Vox on Boxer. Mm-hmm. Uh, not an email. I'll get back to an email in a week. And most of the times, like I have autoresponders that say that. And just to limit the expectation of the individual that I'm going to instantly respond to them, I'm not. I'm not going to instantly respond to you because I'll get to it when I get to it. If it's a level five, I have some automation built into the rules built into my Outlook where if it has certain keywords in it, it'll automatically trigger a level five to me 
And uh, so then I'm notified and I'll, I'll look at those. But if it's just a general conversation, shoot me a text or call the office and ask them if they'll shoot me a text. Uh, because if you send me an email, there's a strong possibility that's going to be, you know, three to five days before I even read it. And is there ever any resistance to the three check-ins a day? I mean, to me, that sounds like a, a lot, like three check-ins a day, five days a week. That sounds like a lot of checking in. <laughs> for employees, for yeah. like a team members? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. Because, and, and also I will tell you that uh, I only require one a day. Oh. Like I want, I want all three. But it's in our trade, we're in attics a lot, like especially mm-hmm. in our area. And it's very unsafe to be in an attic for a very extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So that's our way of checking on you to make sure you're still alive. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that you're safe. And I say you're still alive, but I want to make sure that you're you're well taken care of because there's been times where eight o'clock in the morning we got a we got a red and they just were spent for the day. They got into an argument with their spouse and they were just not gonna be a good fit today. And I had a phone call call with them and they're like, no, nah, man, I can, I can work it out. I can work it through it. And then the second time they checked in, they were still red and I called them again. They're like, I'm still having issues with, with my spouse. It's just not getting resolved. I was like, man, you know what? Take the rest of the day off. And I have some friends of ours who are actually, they were actually on the show here recently and they're life coaches and marriage counselors, marriage coaches. And I said, here, I've prepaid for a few sessions for you. Wow. Go get get you better. Because if they have problems at home, they really have problems at work. Yeah. But things like that, that's what builds the culture. Like they would take a bullet for me, no doubt. And if he wouldn't take a bullet for me, she would throw him in front of the gun for (laughs) for me, you know, because of things like that. And then like anniversaries and, and birthdays of family members, we send flowers and edible arrangements to the spouse on their anniversary Aww, yeah, nice. from that from that team member and from us and so stuff like that is really as long as the spouse i mean if the spouse loves us then you know employees are hard to find and yeah. replacing team members is a very expensive uh, task so if we can have the person at home saying, no, nah, you're not leaving. You've never <laughs> yeah. been treated that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you might be having a bad day today. You might be frustrated because it's really hot in this attic. Uh, but have you ever been treated this way? No. So that's, that's one of the things. And, and the other thing is, is working remote. We have, um, we have quarterly parties. Uh, we have one that actually is getting ready to come up. So we get together the whole team. We have, I live on 250 acres. This will be a challenge as we expand this operation, but currently, uh, we'll get like a 250 foot long blow up water slide. Like a, it's an obstacle course where yes, kids are just running, those. running from one end to the other with water and everything else. And so we'll have everybody's families come in and hang out for the day. And it's not mandatory. You can come, you don't come. It doesn't matter because my kids will be out there on that thing all day yeah. long, whether, whether your <laughs> yeah. kids are out there or not. And so building up culture and there's people who have been on the team came to those events, really bought into the culture. Uh, but then something happened and we just didn't, we didn't see out of hour, we didn't fit. And I'm okay with that. Like a hundred percent, we're not going to burn bridges because one day one of the two of us may change the thought process. And so I have one guy that he was our dispatcher and our CSR, sorry. So he, the incoming calls, he received those calls and he was a DJ at a radio station. They downsized the radio station in the market and lost his job. And I was like, dude, I, I mean, you're, we're good friends. I met through the, the chamber. He's actually the 
the announcer for the Savannah Bananas, Mark the Shark. Yeah. Nice. And so he's got that, he has that voice. He has that radio voice, the announcer's voice. And I was like, that'd be, you'd be awesome as a CSR. You're, all you're doing is talking to people all day. And he loves talking to people. And so uh, he came on board with us and loved it. Loved the job, loved the culture, loved everything about it, loved how flexible we were, could work from home. And we provided childcare for him and everything like that. He got a, a job opportunity to run three radio stations about an hour f- south of us. And uh, he came to me and he was like, man, I, I don't know. Like my, I'm sick to my stomach. I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> this has been my dream forever. I said, I know, you know, we've talked about this. Like that's what you wanted to do and you h- didn't have the opportunity. I said, Mark, but if you don't take this opportunity this time, I'm going to fire you. Like, oh, it's, wow. it's just a given. Like I'm going to, that's your lifelong dream and you have the opportunity. You're not going to give it up to be here. And he was just like, just start bawling. Like he was just, mm. I can't believe it, man. Like, really? I thought you're going to be mad at me. I was like, now am I sad? Yes, I'm sad because we've trained you for, you know, a year, year and a half. But what would you think if I was like, nah, man, you can't leave. You can never leave. You, you Eventually you start resenting me. And yeah. like every time somebody else mentions something about a radio station, you're like, man, what if, what if that would have happened? And it's like, I see him to this day. I'll go to the, to the baseball games and like he gives me this huge shout out. I didn't pay for any advertisement, but he gives me, he's constantly recommending our company to all the people in the Facebook groups. You need employees. Oh, well, this is the company to work for. And so having a, an employee leave is not always the absolute worst thing in the world, as long as you leave on good terms. Yeah. And uh, I love these stories of how well you treat people. It sounds like you've read uh, the Zappos book by Tony Shea about culture and stuff just going above and beyond. Like that, that's so inspiring hear, hearing all these stories. And I, I assume you've automated the hiring process too, though, right? Uh, how, how have you gone yeah. about that? <laughs> yeah, we have a funnel. We have lots of automation built into the hiring process. As far as, I mean, we have a QR code. I don't I have a business card right here in front of me, but a QR code that you can you can scan and it gets you put into the top of the funnel. Like, Hey, look, I think you're a really awesome person. I think you'd be great for the team. Scan this QR code and and share your information with us and see if we can, if we're a good fit. And that puts them at the top of the funnel. So then even if they're not hired, we can constantly drip content to them and say, Hey, look, you know, maybe now is a good time or, you know, something in the future can happen. And I built that years ago to the point where like, I need to revisit it because I hope there's nothing outdated on it, but I, it's, I haven't touched it in a while. And then I'll just get an email from someone responding to that, that funnel. And they're like, Oh, I can't believe you thought about me and X, Y, and Z. And uh, we have it set up for 365 days. So that follow, it's a 365 day follow up. And so then if they get, let's say they, they pass what our, our prerequisite is to get interviewed, the interview process itself, uh, they'll get the link, which says it goes to a Calendly calendar and they, they book it and they answer all the questions. Those questions come straight to me, get put into Evernote automatically. So then when we do the interview process, I can, I have the, the, the questions, interview questions already pulled up. They've already answered them. Now here's the tricky thing because hiring is so challenging in our industry and there's uh, people who will blow you off on hiring. And we also hire, we interview remotely as well. Mm-hmm. So that whole scheduling process puts them into a zoom call. What they don't know is that they're going to be in a zoom call with up to 20 other people. And yeah, so we instantly are, that's their, we want to see their reaction to adversity. So when they pop up, 
and they they put their camera on and that's one of our other requirements we need your camera and we need your name fixed yeah uh, and so their camera's on and they're like there's a lot of people in here what what's going on and mm-hmm. so i start off the conversation with hey look you know there's 15 other people here they're not all they're not all interviewing for the same position uh, but there might be somebody else in here that is iron for the same or interviewing for the same position and if that's the case then you know it is what it step is. <laughs> yeah, step it up and, and and show me why you deserve it more than them. And it may be a situation where we're hiring two people for the same position, but I, I might not let them know that instantly. Uh, and I, but I will tell them, hey, look, I want to see how you how you deal with adversity adversity because when you're in the client's home, you're going to deal with adversity all the time. And I'm not 15 minutes away from you and can save you every single time. So I want to see how you deal with it. And then I uh, I go round robin and I say, I'm going to ask you four questions. And I ask everybody the same four questions. And the people who followed all the instructions did exactly what they were supposed to do. I go to them last. The people who are not following the instructions, the people who didn't turn the cameras on or, or didn't change their names and stuff like that, I go to them first. And I tell them that I'm going to. I was like, I'll give you all about 15 minutes. I'm going to give you our core values and I'm going to go over what we who we are. But then whoever hasn't done this, this and this, I'm going to you first. And I'm going to ask you these four questions. And then I give them the four questions and then let them, you know, go through the 15 minutes of, you know, what, what all we're about and everything, what our future is, our, our vision, our painted vision. And then I start with the, with those individuals. Uh, if the, everybody followed the instructions, I just start at the top and start, you know, scroll over. It's really cool to see everybody's reactions because the questions that I ask are very non-traditional. You know how you get into an interview and it's like, same questions. Tell me about a story whenever you had a bad situation at work and you resolved yeah. it. It's like, okay, we all have that same answer. You know, we, we have the answer that we can go, our go-to answers for that. And whenever I go in there and I say, when you think of your childhood, what smell comes to mind? Hmm. Now they're instantly, they're not thinking logically. I mean, they're, they're thinking very creatively. Like it's, it's a creative versus like it takes, it takes and throws them off their balance. So they're not going to give me the, you know, the normal answer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we, we don't have to deal with that as much and they're recorded too. And so like I can go back and watch them and review them later. Now it's such, it rolls off the tongue so much now that they're like, first off, they're like, who are you? And why are like, you have a full microphone set up. You have a camera, like you're wearing a suit. What's going on here? I'm interviewing for an air conditioning company. Uh, I don't understand this, uh, and so I have to go through and explain that whole thing and, to them, and and say, look, if it's normal, we do the exact opposite. That's the reason why we're interviewing with 20 people right now. Yeah. And if you pass this interview process, then we'll go to a one-on-one interview, and then after that, we're going to go to a meal interview. So we're going to interview in person in uh, in a uh, diner setting, and I don't tell them why we do this. I'll tell them later, maybe. Uh, but it's so that I can see how they interact with people who don't, who are not going to benefit them by being nice to them. Yeah. So like, how do you, how do you treat wait staff? How do you treat your children? Because I want their, their family with us too, because our family's coming to that, to that meal. And so I want to see how you're going to interact with everybody whenever that person doesn't control whether or not you get hired. And so that's, I mean, it's more like five, five parts, but that's basically it. Cause we have a phone call conversation also, but yeah, so it's a lot of it's automated. Can I scale it? I probably won't be able to do it forever if I continue with that much of a process, but going from A to B, like it's all of that part of it's automated. Our interview is every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon. So we try to, we try to open it and they have options when they're signing up. So like we can do two, you know, two to 5 PM. 
those on those days. That way, if they need to do it after work, they can do it after work. If they need to do it during work hours, they can do that. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's a pretty cool process once we once we got it ironed out about a year, two years ago. I was curious when you mentioned how the attics are actually a very dangerous place in a lot of homes. Um, and so obviously people know that they're interviewing for a dangerous position. And, and as someone who's not in the industry, I'm curious, what is dangerous? Like, are there raccoons that will attack you? Do you fall through? Is it like carbon <laughs> monoxide up there? Like what, what makes attics so dangerous in people's homes? <laughs> Heat exhaustion. That's the biggest thing. I actually fell out of an attic and had I not fallen down the stairs, I would have died in the attic because it was 147 degrees there. And I was pushing myself to like, I just wanted to knock this job out. The home was vacant. It was a real estate system where they had uh, sold the house and they needed a coil changed out. I spent way too much time in the attic, way more than I should have. And uh, I called up my my now wife at the time we were dating and said, I'm really concerned. I don't know if I can climb to the exit before I pass out and from heat exhaustion. I've, I quit sweating about 30, 45 minutes ago. And she's freaking out on me because she's a nurse, but she's also in Ohio, you know, 12 hours away from me. And I'm in Savannah. And I, as I get to the stairs, I just black out and I just tumble down the stairs and then I wake up on the ground and I don't know how long I was there on the ground, uh, but it was a vacant house. But had I fallen backwards into that attic at 145 degrees, I'd have been dead. Jeez. Yeah. So, and it's not uncommon. I have gotten second degree burns by touching air conditioning equipment that's just sitting in the attic, just the, the metal on the outside of the AC unit because it was so hot in the attic. Yeah. Oh my so gosh. So <laughs> that's where it's dangerous. Now you can, there's snakes and stuff in attics. Like if I see a snake in an attic, I, I don't like snakes. Like <laughs> I okay, strongly <laughs> dislike snakes. Yeah. I, I will. <laughs> it's, if it's a three foot tall attic, it's going to turn into a six foot tall attic because I'm running out of there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Uh, now, spiders don't bother me, but snakes, I do not like those guys. And so, but the, every now and then you're going to run into something like that or you're going to you're going to crawl across something. And all of a sudden you're going to look down and it's like a, a six foot long uh, shedding of a skin of a snake. And you're like, oh, crud. That means <laughs> yeah. that he's here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but yeah, that's there's definitely danger when it comes to that kind of thing. Falling through addicts is dangerous as well, especially. I mean, most of the times you're more embarrassed than anything when you fall through an attic maybe you'll have like a bruised rib or something but you don't it's not like you're gonna fall down and die most of the times so now i do know of a guy who did pass away he fell through an attic but it was in a commercial building and he fell like almost two stories down and passed away when he hit the ground Jeez. but that's not something you hear of a whole whole lot and but then like there's a guy that was underneath the house working on an air conditioning unit and there was a an issue with a grounding and the electrical, like the whole AC unit was electrified. And as soon as he touched it, he got electrocuted and died. Oh yeah. my God. So yeah, there's definitely risk involved in that. And that's the reason why we also provide, we provide life insurance for all of our employees. Mm. So that's one of the benefits that we do. Like our benefits package is to provide life insurance. And so heaven forbid something does happen, you know, your family's at least taken care of uh, for us or for you on our dime. And it's scary but it's a reality. Yeah, no, that is, that is crazy to think about. When you are hiring people, I mean, I guess, I mean, it's, it's a full company. So you do have the full range of hiring people who are, sounds like just out of high school or just out of college to, yeah. it sounds like you also hire executives who have been in sales for 20 years to help you, help support yeah. you as well, right? We but but and just, but just out of curiosity, like, 
are the people out of high school or college, are they more apt to do dangerous things than the guy who's been in the industry for 20 <laughs> years? Like, I'm curious about the, the sense nope. of danger, <laughs> essentially. Absolutely not. It's it, And I thought that would be the case because that's how I was when I came out, right out of high school and college. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm invincible. Ain't nothing mm-hmm. going to stop yeah. me. Uh, but no, I've had some of the most cautious people that are 18 years old. Like, uh, nope, that ladder says that it, you cannot exceed 150 pounds and I'm a hundred pounds and I have this 25 pound drum refrigerant <laughs> and I have this 75 pound book bag on me. I'm going to exceed that late rate, uh, that weight limit. And mm-hmm. then you have other guys that are like, oh, it says 175 pounds or it says 150 pounds. Oh, I weigh 225. We're going to test its abilities. I'm going up, <laughs> oh <my laughs> you know? God. And, and yeah. so safety first is one of our core values, of course. uh, or safety above all. And so it's definitely like for us, it's a non-negotiable. If I, if I see somebody, if I catch somebody with that, we're having a, uh, an instant conversation about safety. Because first off, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get killed. I don't want to have to cash in on that life insurance policy. And then I don't want my insurance rate to go up. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, there's a lot of factors in there. Now, do I want the job to be completed? Yes. But I want it to be done in a safe, you know, safe manner. They were like, man, I'm just taking one for the team. Like, yeah, but are you really? Like, I appreciate your gung ho. And I appreciate, cause I've been that guy where it's like, what you don't know won't hurt you. And in reality, if something bad happens, it does hurt, you know? So I used to think, yes, I used to think, you know, the younger guys and gals are going to be more apt to doing the dangerous things. But I have old timers who are like always doing, I've been doing this forever and I've done it this way and I ain't never got hurt before. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm like, man, please don't because <laughs> you're getting older and you're, you're, you're not going to bounce back. Our joints don't work the same as we get older, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, but yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I definitely not finding that to be the case. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, kind of shifting gears, um, you know, before this call, you mentioned that, you know, coaching is definitely a big part of how you've been able to grow these businesses and always get better and kind of be aware of knowing what you don't know or like, uh, essentially, mm-hmm. tell us about your journey of like, you know, hiring your first coach and like how you continue to, why you continue to invest in yourself, even though you quote unquote made it for a lot of people. I'd uh, love to hear more of your, your experience and journey with that. Yeah, it's really wild, man. I, the thing about it is, is you are the five people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Like, no matter if you like that, you know, catchphrase and or not, it, it's, it is true. You are the five people that you surround yourself with. If I can surround myself with five people who are way better, way smarter than I am, my hope is to, for that intelligence and that know-how and that drive to rub off on me. And it does. It really does because I have a group chat with the guys. So I have a mastermind that we started up and uh, it's, a, it's a really cool mastermind. It's just anybody that's a business owner who wants to be held accountable. It's an accountability group. And so the very first one was a group of guys that it was really just like a, we a hodgepodge of throwing guys together and see who meshes. And, and we really meshed. And now we have a, a group chat on text message and it's like, man, and am, am I, I'm down in the dumps. And then all of a sudden I, I talk to these guys and it's like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I needed. And, and you know what I mean? And so, and it all stems from, you know, coaching organizations. These, these guys I met in coaching groups and different coaching organizations and networked with them. Uh, so that's part of the coaching is networking with other businesses and, and seeing how they've made things work or things that haven't worked for them, why it didn't work maybe. Cause there's a lot, I mean, a lot of people told me you'll never make a, remote business work. 
it just can't happen. Wow. It won't happen. You don't have a warehouse. You need everybody needs to meet up in the morning for an hour or so. I was like, bet. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you said it's impossible. Okay. I'm going to do it now. And sure, I lost money because I was being stubborn in certain ways, but it, other aspects like, why didn't it work for you? The more I was part of these organizations and they're like, that's not going to work. Why is it not going to work? Why can't it work? They're like, it just doesn't. I'm like, nah, that's not a good answer for me. I want to know why it did not work for you. And they tell me, I'm like, okay, well then I can solve that problem by doing this. And they're mm -hmm. like, no, I don't think that's going to work. Well, do you not think, or do you know that's not going to work because this will solve that problem. And then they're like, well, let's try it and see. So I try it. Most of the times it, it's worked. Sometimes they were right. It was not going to work. And not not with the so solution that I figured out anyways. Now, a couple of years later, there's a lot more technology and, and things out there that might work for them. But the coaching organizations, like whenever I first started, when I became the service manager and the GM and install manager, I didn't know what to do. Like when I said, like about why, when they asked me, they flew me to Seattle and said, why do you do everything that we tell you to do? Like, why do you do it that way? Like, man, Bruce, I don't know a, another way to do it. Like there isn't, there's yeah. not a bad way of doing it because I don't know any other way. And so because I had such a great experience with those folks over at BDR that I, I mean, I wholeheartedly believe that there's somebody else who's already been there and done it and figured out the pain and they went through the pain point process of, of figuring it out. Why try and reinvent the wheel? Why try and figure out the new best thing whenever somebody else has already done it and they're willing to show you how to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, there's some organizations that, that pay for some, are, some are, you know, less costly or free. Uh, but one of the things that one of my mentors said, and, and I, I gave him crap about it. Cause I'm like, yeah, you're telling me this just because you want me to pay you. But he, it was true. He said, if you don't pay for it, you won't implement it. And I was mm -hmm. like, mm, really? Because you just want me to pay you instead of just giving me free advice. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was like, but then I got a free subscription to a coaching organization. That's a very good coaching organization. Not used it at all. Like a, wow. not, not even like gone through the full course of it. I mean, it was a, a Kajabi online course. I made it, you know, I don't know, three, like you did two sessions a week and I did it like three weeks and it was supposed to be like a six month thing. And I was like, eh, it's not a top priority. Now, if I had paid $20,000 for it, if I paid $50,000 for it, you better bet, you best believe that I was going through that whole six months, you know, yeah. get my money out of it. And, uh, so, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. Now, whenever I was first starting out, anything that was free, I was hustling to get it because I didn't have any other money then. Uh, and that's where podcasts and, and books on tape, books on tape got too expensive for me. Like I was getting a new, a new one every two or three days because I was driving so much and I was going through the books and I was like 15 bucks every two or three days. That's expensive. You know, so that's where podcasts came in. I started listening to podcasts and then I couldn't find a podcast for the air conditioning industry that talked about business. And so started my own. So then I could start interviewing all these great thought leaders in our industry and, and in other industries. And so it kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so, that's so awesome. I'm curious, do you, have you had any bad experiences with, with coaches? I'm mm -hmm. curious about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. have. <laughs> yeah. so, so, tell us about that. Like knowing what you know, Noah, how do you distinguish between hiring a good coach or a good mentor and knowing some red flags when you're looking to hire someone to mentor you or coach you or something essentially? Anybody who makes you sign a long-term contract where 
it's it only costs you money and you can't change anything but they can change whatever they want it happens three years five years like so if you if you signed a five-year commitment to to pay even if it's thousand dollars a month for five five years there has to be something in there in that contract that says if the organization itself changes to whatever drastic you know whatever extent it is that voids that contract and you can cancel the contract at that point but if at any point it said they say no matter what even if you file bankruptcy even if you sell your business even if you're all of your status changes you hit a wall and you know heaven forbid that you go through a divorce and you're like internally just implode the whole business and it's just you you're still stuck in this contract but i can change my you know as the coach i can change my entire contract i can change my entire business model i can get out of the business and and hire someone else to be your coach that's inferior to me but you still have to pay me that's a red flag as you can tell i've i've kind of experienced that before yeah uh anybody who makes you sign a long-term contract in general and with threats of suing you because uh, now, now there's definitely a difference between taking their information and their data and sharing it with other people. Like that's one thing because they've taken years to learn and cultivate that information, but there's very little that a coach is going to give you. That's not already on the internet somewhere. You know, it's just them showing you how to implement it or how they've implemented it. And that's going to be the big factor with the Facebook groups out there with the stuff that you can Google, you can find the information. The challenge is finding if it's good information or if it's actually worked before versus information that somebody's like, theoretically, this would work. Theoretically, yeah. this could do something. But in, in reality, it, it just damages your business and your culture more. So the value there is definitely having someone who has done this in practice. And then another thing is, is like people who, who are coaches and they haven't done it. The old age old adage that if you can't do teach, you know, I couldn't become a, a successful business owner. So I'm going to coach others how to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's so now, now I know some very good business coaches who have never had an HVAC business or a plumbing company or anything like that, but they are very, very good at coaching up people and they can coach individuals and and teach them how to do things. Have Do I have a $30 million a year company? No, I don't. So I would have imposter syndrome if I was trying to coach someone how to run their $30 million a year company. Yeah. Now, if I had formal training on on coaching, like I have a degree in coaching or if I, you know, you know, Six Sigma, you know, whatever, all of that good jazz. If I was trained on how to properly coach people, then I could go to a $30 million a year company and say, well, this is what I would do in this situation, or this is what I believe you should do in this situation. So if they don't have that formal training and they've never had a successful business, probably pass uh, because there's walls when it comes to businesses, like different industries are different wall amounts, but you know, like an air conditioning company going from 1 million to 5 million is a challenge, you know, yeah. getting from zero to 1 million like there's a wall there and then you have another wall at the three and a half million, three million. You have another wall at the seven million, you know, and then you have another wall at 10 million. So if they haven't crossed those barriers and those hurdles, they can't give sound advice on how to do it unless they've really studied other companies who have been able, have done that successfully. Uh, then that's that's one thing like the guys over at BDR, which is a, a group that I I mean, those people really influenced my career as coaches early on in 2005, 2007 uh, timeframe. I don't know that any of the, them have owned large businesses, but they're very good at saying, OK, well, this large business did this. How did they do that? 
let me share with you how this is successful in a tasteful way, in a, in a tactful way without like stealing trade secrets or anything like that. Dissecting what has worked for other individuals organically. And some people, things just come natural to them and they don't know how they did it. But then there's somebody else who can come into their organization and say, oh, I see how you did it. Let me share how that, that was happens. Whenever you can find someone who can communicate that way and can coach up your team, that's definitely a good organization. But the red flag would be if they can't do that and they haven't ever owned a business. They've, if you've never owned a company and you're going to tell me how to run a company, ah, I'm going to have a challenge with that. You know, yeah. like I've stayed up at night not knowing how I'm going to pay guys and how I'm going to do payroll. And like, if I don't close this deal or if I don't get the cash, my AR, my accounts receivable is through the roof. And if I don't collect some of that money, I can't cover payroll this week. Like I've stayed up doing that kind of stuff. But if you've never felt that pain, you can't tell me like, oh, this is what you're doing wrong. Like I'm liable to throat chop you. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come at me with that nonsense. And so the the very strenuous con contracts uh, that are very one-sided and then people who don't really know what they're doing. And it's hard because there's a lot of people who are really good salespeople. They can sell themselves like, I mean, like no other. They're amazing, wonderful people, but you can't see any of their content until you sign this contract. Mm. Then once you see, once you sign the contract, then you see all the content and it's, malarkey web 1.0 nonsense yeah. i actually experienced this and it was like 250 dollars a month which is nothing but it's enough to annoy you because <laughs> yeah. i literally can google everything that you have here which is what you did you googled it and put it into a, a not even kajabi you just put it into a web 1.0 old dated things with the white sidebars on the side like first generation internet uh, website. And then you're just collecting $250 a month from, you know, a thousand different companies. And then they're just going to eat, run out their contract and then be done with it. And the automatic renewal at the end of the year, he tried getting me with that, uh, but I had to have, I called a lawyer and I was like, look, I told him I wasn't happy. I wanted to, to divorce him the entire time. But he said that I had to to send another email exactly two months before the end of it, or else it was going to automatically renew for another year. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not paying it. And, you know, we ended up, you know, filing suit, taking care of it. And I haven't actually heard from that, that guy again since then, because uh, he also had some stipulations where if you gave him a one-star review, he would sue you. <laughs> I was like, bet. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, yeah. now that I've already filed suit on you, you ain't even doing nothing to me. So I, I did, I didn't smear his name on the podcast. I probably should have because I didn't realize how much of a platform I had at that moment. Mm -hmm. But he did. He he was fearful of it. And I never did. Uh, and I regret not doing that sometimes because there are probably there are definitely listeners to the show who signed up for his pr platform because of me. It happens all the time. Mm, yeah. That, and that's why I'm so careful of saying who I do and don't use because I don't want people to sign up for something just because I've used it and they see that I've had success with it in the past. And that that guy, I slipped up and did. I was excited about it. And then once I signed up for it, I was uber not excited about it. I didn't talk about it anymore, but I didn't say this is garbage. Don't ever sign up for it. But I just stopped talking about it. And and I regret, I, I definitely regret not doing, not warning more people about it. 
Yeah, that, that is interesting. And another question I thought of while you're talking about that is how do you go about hiring coaches for yourself versus hiring outside consultants or coaches for your team to help your team with various things? Like you said, obviously you have the big ego. You're like, well, I know everything. Like, so how do you handle when you're like, okay, I got to hire someone mm-hmm. to help me and help my team, not necessarily me, essentially? You know, I don't have a written out hiring process. It's really for coaches. I have, I have mentors. I have a mentor mentee relationship and, and I really work towards growing those relationships. And then if they are really valuable person that I, so a mentor is only going to be able to give you a certain amount of time and they're doing it out of the good of their heart. They want to give back their experience. You know, they're probably at the end of their career and they're just giving back to the industry and you're asking them questions and like, if, if there's an appointment set up, you don't miss the appointment because they're volunteering this. If at any point you're like, I need more, I need like more time. How much would it cost me to do that? Then that's whenever you get into more of the coaching aspect of things. But there's a lot of mentors that are like, nah, I'm not going to take money because then it becomes a different relationship. And also I can't devote more time to you and be honest about it. And so it's as far as personal coaches go, I mean, honestly, I would interview a lot of people. And if you can't do, if you can't start out in the mentor mentee relationship, if it needs to be a a paid uh, relationship interview and and just see if you mesh together because Mike Disney is a, is a mentor of mine who I happen to also pay. And he is a wonderful dude, like great guy. I mesh with him. Great. If I could get away with not paying him, I'd think I would, (laughs) but it's, it's worth paying him to, to get his sales knowledge and learn, you know, for personal growth. I have a local life coach who was on my podcast recently, uh, John Crosby, and we actually met through a church group or something like a, uh, it was a retreat for couples, uh, him and his wife. And I found out that he was an entrepreneur himself and experienced things. And so I kind of just like, Hey, John, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then it was one of those things where I never wanted to take advantage of him. So if at any point I was like, hey, if I'm asking too many questions, please just let me know. I'm more than willing to pay you. Be willing to pay. And if you're willing to invest in yourself, you'll grow 100%. Same with your team. But also they have to have a little skin in the game. That's the challenge that Mm. I've found in the past. Like I've spent $15,000 for a coach for our, our team members they didn't show up for it or they mm. like they were there because they were getting paid, but they didn't implement anything. They didn't have any skin in the game. There was no reason for them to do it. So figuring out how to make sure that they're skin in the game, like their end goal, like what's your why? Like Simon Sinek, you know, start with the why and what is their why? And would that coach or that coaching organization get them to their why? I have a guy that is a, never purchased a house, wants to be a, a home buyer. And I'm like, okay, so what do we have to do to, for you to get to become a home buyer? Well, I need to sell, you know, $750,000 worth of equipment this year so I can have a down payment. That's how much I need for a down payment. I'm like, okay, well, you suck at sales. Like you can't sell anything. Like if you, if the car was on fire, you couldn't sell water to the person to put the fire out. Like that, <laughs> you're horrible at sales, but I have a coach who will teach you how to sell. If you're willing to do that, I'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then when it doesn't show up for the for the the meetings and it doesn't show up for that group, then I'm like, are you going to improve your sales? Are you going to be able to purchase your house if you don't improve your sales? And are you going to improve your sales if you don't show up to these courses and, and learn what they're teaching you? And he's like, you're right, Tersh. I'll be at the next one. <laughs> and, and so then it's less of me 
getting on to him for not showing up more of him like you're right like I, i'm gonna i'm gonna be there so yeah it's it and but if you don't figure out that that why and and what their skin in the game is for it they're just gonna get frustrated you're gonna get frustrated at them they're gonna get frustrated at you and it's gonna be like all right i'm, I'm out of here all he wants to do all he cares about sales and like i don't care about sales like i don't I, and you know what I mean? So once they figure out like, oh, this is why I need to, to know how to do X, Y, and Z, then it makes a lot more sense to them to put forth the effort to do it. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, Terps, this has been uh, such an amazing knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb after golden <laughs> nugget. Like this is so incredible. You definitely know what you're talking about. A couple of questions to wrap things up. As a successful entrepreneur, what gets you fired up each day to get out of bed and carpe diem? <laughs> Man, giving back to the industry. I'm at that point to where it's like, how can I, how can I do this to give back? Even my team, like uh, I have one guy, he doesn't even know this, uh, but I'm molding him into taking over one of the locations to become a, a, an, a vested partner. And if I could take someone who just came onto the team as an employee and I can make them a partner even if it's not like a half and half partner, if I can make them so that they have a vested interest in the business and change their life long-term, like that's cool to me. Like that's changing lives and stuff like that. And so I don't need to make profits. Like I make, I have multiple revenue streams, like tons of revenue streams where I'm making little bits of money on each one of them. So then like, I don't need to get rich off of one company. And so because I can, because I have that flexibility, it's easier for me to say, dude, man, I'd really like for you to become on like as a partner. How about 15% in, of equity? And you're like, what do I need to do? Do I need to buy into it? No, I, I want you to have it. Like, I want this to be yours. And then you get a, a whole new ownership in, in the business. And obviously it has to be somebody you trust and somebody you can see yourself you know, being a partner with long-term because that could turn into a slippery slope otherwise. But doing that kind of thing, changing lives, that's really what gets me motivated because I'll be honest with you, man, whenever things are too smooth, like when things are just like glass, like the glass water, storms, strong storms create strong sailors. Mm. And a smooth sailing it's not going to teach you anything in my opinion. And so it's really easy for me to put the cruise control on and I'm like, Oh, it's eight o'clock. Nah, I'm not getting out of bed right now. It's nine o'clock. Mm, nah, things are way too smooth. If I didn't get up all day long, the company would run great by itself and I I'm fine. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that feeling, but that's where I fall in. That's the trap I fall into. So I'm very conscious, cautious of it and, and conscious of it. So if it does get too, too smooth, then I'm going to throw a wrench in things. And I, not necessarily in a bad way. Maybe it's, hey, now it's time to open another another location because this one over here is just Cadillac and along and I'm going to get into that rut of not being productive, not changing lives anymore. So let's do something else. To, to Sure, it's going to be a challenge, but we can't change lives if we're just doing the same easy thing that everybody else is doing. No, it makes sense. And I also wanted to ask too, uh, yeah, what, what is the problem that you feel like you're still working on solving? Because obviously you pride yourself able to solve things so quickly. So what is that, that thing that does make you go, oh, I wish I had solved that or, I, or I'm still trying to figure out how to solve X, Y, Z kind of thing? What does that look like for you? Making the trade sexy to an 18-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a challenge. I have a friend of mine uh, out in, in um, the West Coast, um, Phoenix, Arizona area 
that he wrote a book called The Blue is the New White, talking about blue collar working is the new white collar working and how you can make money and be really successful in the trades versus having to go to college and having to get a white collar job. And so, and that's his thing. Like he goes to high schools and gives these books out to, you know, all of these students and counselors and everything. And, and I commend Josh for doing that. And it's one of those things where it's like, I, I go and talk to, middle schools. Like they, they don't even let us talk to high schoolers anymore. It's, Oh, you want to talk about career day? You're talking to sixth, seventh and eighth graders. I'm like, yeah, but I want, I want the guy that's about to graduate in two weeks, like so that I can change his mind and, and recruit him to come work for me. You know what I mean? Uh, but they're like, nah, you, you're going to, they're going to have four years to fester on this. And I'm like, okay, well I'll take what I can get. But to walk in there and like, I walk in there with $1,200 Louis Vuitton shoes on and they're like, you do air conditioning. <laughs> like I seen an air conditioning guy, he was wearing like a jumpsuit and I was like, yeah, but that's not, that's not how it has to be. It doesn't have to be that way. If you don't mm-hmm. want it to be, if you want to, if you want to drive a Lamborghini, I mean, sure you couldn't like do it from day one, but yeah. if you really invested yourself and in, like, there's people who make $150,000 a year easy in the air conditioning as a service technician, you know, and if you live somewhere where it's not expensive to live, like if you don't live in California, uh, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. you can you can afford to spend more money on a car than your house costs because of the cost of living is, is different. But really just getting that message out there to everybody, because I didn't even know what HVAC was when I when I started in HVAC. I didn't know what it was. And it was for years. I, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be in the trades. Like it just doesn't sound sexy to me at all. I just knew I had to go to college, uh, become an engineer or do like I, I was really good at math and I was really good at problem solving. And so I just knew that the only way I'm going to be successful in life is if I go to, and get a college degree, uh, diploma to hang them behind me. Now I have two of them and they're not on a wall anywhere. They're in a closet on purpose <laughs> because I don't want, I don't want them to be hanging on the wall. You know, I went to school after I had a business that was successful to get, uh, to, to get a gr- degree in psychology. Because I wanted to know how the mind worked and why people thought the way they did, why my team members thought the way they did. And I don't want people to know, like, I have a degree in psychology. Like, that's, that's just, that was literally, and I think that college is the biggest scam. Because when I went to college, because I was like super mad as an adult going to college, why do I have to go to phys ed? Why do I have to go to tennis? Why do I have to pay you a thousand dollars to go do some bull snot that is not going to do anything for me, but it's a requirement because I need this elective or whatever. Like, no, give me what I need. Give me the course that I need so that I'm successful as an accountant. As an accountant, I don't need PE. I don't need, you know, all this other stuff. What I need is math and I need an accounting class. You know, if that was the case, if it was less for profit, I could send, I mean, I have one son who is going to be a tax attorney and I just know he's going to be a tax attorney. At because, 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. At, at, yeah. 13. Um, yeah. He, I can, he, that's just the thought process. And we've talked about it too. Like I've talked to him about a tax attorney and, and that and all that good jazz and the benefits of it. And I was like, Hey, also plus side, you come work for me if you're a tax attorney. So, I mean, I wouldn't have any complaints about it at all. Uh, if you're a good one anyways. So whenever he goes to that point in his life, I'm going to be very difficult. I'm going to be stressing out to them about wasting money on college for frivolous things that I could pay someone like a professional, like, Oh, 
you know, a thousand dollars for a, a month. Yeah, I can pay a professional tennis player to teach you that for a thousand dollars a month. You know, if that's really what you want to do, not some fifth year senior that's just teaching you another course. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That's I'll get off my soapbox with that one. But yeah, <laughs> no, making uh, making the trade sexy. No, that's uh, it is interesting, and uh, I know that, like uh, coming from Oregon, there's a lot of trade schools and a lot of people advocating for it more and more. But it, it makes sense that you know I watch I like the movie uh, Caddyshack where the guys like the world needs ditch diggers too. <laughs> the, the, the world needs AC and electricians too. Like. <laughs> I'll tell you, my uh, I spent the week with 30 youth last week, whitewater rafting, and uh, I was like, man, there's a reason why they invented Velcro shoes. Like, the, some of these kids, they just ain't bright. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I was talking to another guy that was there, and I was like, you know, the world needs ditch diggers too. Like, <laughs> yeah. We can't all we can't all be rocket scientists. So, <laughs> yes, that's how it works sometimes. All right, well, I want to make sure we uh, end on a positive note. So, Tersh, uh, this has been an amazing interview. You've taught us so much. Uh, thank you for staying on extra. Out of all the things you said today, what is the one takeaway you want people to have when it comes to you know thriving in business and life? Just uh, basically, it's like your billboard quote that you want to lay your message to the world. What's the one takeaway you want people to have without using profanity i would say just care just give up give up <laughs> yeah yeah about others you know what i mean just just care about others and if they know that you care they'll, they'll they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care mm, i love that so, well Tersh, thank you so much um what are the best ways people can contact you get a hold of you reach out to you connect with you support you how can we do that uh google Tersh and <laughs> Typically, I, I pop up. I'm trying to. I'm trying to own the one name thing, like Adele. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'll be able to be successful like that. But <laughs> uh, Service Business Mastery Podcast is is my podcast. Service Business Mastery Podcast or Service Business Mastery dot com uh, is that podcast. Yeah, Facebook group. We have a Facebook group if you want to be a part of it. YouTube channel. That's definitely where where I'd really like to see people is subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have any questions. You know, Tersh at servicebusinessmastery.com is my email. Feel free to shoot me an email. And like I said, in three to five days, I'll get back to you, but I will get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, Tersh. This has been amazing. And uh, thanks to you all for listening. Uh, make sure to check out Tersh online. And we'll see you all next week of another episode of Rapid Results. Take care, everyone. Cheers. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.